Happy Jack's RPG Podcast, a roundtable discussion that's a mix of friendship, humor, unbridled enthusiasm, and tabletop RPG topics sent in from around the world. Just for another Hello, and welcome to the Happy Jack's RPG Podcast, Season 30, Episode 13. My name is Kimmy. I'm Nick. I'm Stork. <laughs> and on today's episode, Leatherneck from Michigan asks about making a location the star of a campaign instead of characters. Mike F. from New York shares a, shares a horror story, how not to run a convention horror game. And Sean from Washington, D.C. asks why releasing old editions of D&D products would be a good marketing strategy. If you'd like to contribute a topic to our show, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That is happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. All right. And upcoming events and stuff for Happy Jacks. Hexbreakers, our Kids on Broom uh, actual play, started this last Wednesday night. We did our Session Zero character creation session. Uh, it will take place every Wednesday at 7 p.m. And it will be playing in person for the most part. Um, sadly, Adam got COVID, so we had to do it remote. So, um, but yeah, moving forward, health issues aside, we will be mostly in person, hopefully. And he seems to be doing okay, right? Oh yeah, he's doing great. He was able to participate and like ha had the energy, but we were just like, no, thank you. No just want to put that out there yeah. for anyone who's going like, oh, oh crap. Yeah. I think that that's just going to be the new normal for gamers these days. There's gonna, Everybody's very good now at, at doing stuff remotely. And if somebody gets COVID, we're like, let's all just stay home and do it remotely tonight. So <laughs> Exactly. Think, let's all just know that that's going to be what happens from now on. Yeah. And we're going to do that with Happy Jack. So every once in a while, if you see us popping into remote for a session or two, then it's probably because someone was either exposed or might be positive and just to try and keep everybody safe, which is obviously our number one priority. Um, also, we have an unnamed quest RPG, which we'll get a name very soon. And we're working on it. <laughs> yeah, we're working on it. <laughs> there's, a, there's so many like ship puns, and it's an like an ocean faring adventure. Right. We want to be real ship shape. Yeah, exactly. There's so many good puns. Anyway, so we're I'm working on a title. That, right? <laughs> I'm the master of this, by the way. Uh... <laughs> you know, I've been missing you, Stork. Oh. <laughs> Oh, no. I don't know. I'm looking rudder. <laughs> Getting rudder and rudder as we go. Yeah. This whole conversation is gone adrift. Anyway. Um, that will... <laughs> oh. All right. Uh, that will be starting on July 23rd. That will be running on Saturday nights. It was originally going to start tomorrow, but that didn't work out with scheduling. There was a upheaval and things. Um, and that way we've got you know, a little bit of time between two campaigns starting anyway. So personally, I prefer that. Um, and Nick will be in that game. Yay! I wonder if you can have a downheaval. I'm sure you can. You can have a downheaval? Why not? Like, I know, I realized the other day, or heard the other day, that you can actually be whelmed. Oh, oh yeah. I didn't know about whelmed. I knew about gruntled. Gruntled? Yeah, you can be gruntled instead of disgruntled. So naming my next Kender, gruntled. <laughs> gruntled. <laughs> <laughs> um, Are you disgruntled or degruntled? 
Sorry. Gruntled. I'm sorry. You were in the middle of you were, it's you were fine. Kind of being, like, it's like not responsible for this <laughs> Call to action. Carry. Yes, Carry. our call to action um is going to be <laughs> Oops. All right. Um Jackercon. Jackercon. Yeah, sorry. Uh July 22nd through the 24th is going to be JackerCon, which is our free online convention. You can find all the information in the link to the Discord at happyjacks.org slash JC. Currently, we have 16 games on the schedule for that weekend. Wow. Which is a lot. That's and, pretty good. Yeah. And um, like about half of them are full. And the great thing about it is a lot of them are less traditional games. So we've got a bunch of different PBTAs, some of which are still in beta, like the one I'm going to be running. Um, we also have, uh, like, For the Queen. We've also got, gosh, I should have written a list out. There's a Mage game. There's a Vampire of the Masquerade game. Um, Tokyo something. I don't know. There's a bunch of really cool and Knights, different systems. I think. Maybe. Tokyo. I think... Something. I remember seeing it, but now Overdrift I'm, but now I'm or under, Tokyo Drift or something. <laughs> I don't know. Isn't Tokyo Drift like, isn't that the car game? We, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but if you check out happyjacks.org slash JC, there's a list of all the games, um, a Google calendar, so you can see what time they're at. And it's really easy to go sign up if you go to the Discord. Just go and you click the little check mark emoji. It's like, I want to be in that game. Also, it's entirely fan-run and fan-created, so it's a great way to meet and talk to other people who are fans of something you're already a fan of. Yeah. If you're listening to this, or if you are being forced to listen to us by your captor, I apologize, <laughs> but you might decide that you actually kind of like this too, so check it out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. I think that's all the news. Um, first email. You want to read it? Go for it. Sure. I'll read the long one. Oh, I figured we'd probably switch off on that because it's it's a chunky. It's a, it's a lot. Um, we know about Luke Skywalker's hero's journey, but what do we know about the hero's journey for the Millennium Falcon? Can an RPG be run where the hero's journey isn't the player's, but an object or place? I'm planning to do this in a sci-fi horror setting. The setting and rules expect there to be a PC death and PC replacement. To do that and keep things consistent, I decided to have a single base of operation, a small moon base that was once mined by a mysterious and disappeared ancient race. The base will start out as a den of, quote, scum and villainy. The base's hero's journey would be would occur through the player's actions, eventually becoming humanity's savior from the horror. Capital, the horror. Before I get too far into this dark hole, I thought I would ask Happy Jackers for some input. So, um, do you have any input? <laughs> Thank you. Leatherneck from West Michigan. Very brief email and right to the point. I'm not sure what he's asking here. Are you asking for ideas or? I think so. Or just or just like can a can a thing be part of the hero's journey? Which is an interesting thought. I, I think that what he wants to do is spend more focus on the journey of this base rather than on any individual character. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, sort of tell the story of this moon base as it goes from being a real shithole uh to being a really great place that in fact saves everyone from uh from the horror uh so probably some like last shining city or something like that um there's a lot of different um systems that focus on this and do this were you going to say that no okay um so there's now it may not be perfect for exactly what you want to do but it can maybe 
like incite some cool thoughts about it. Um, the quiet year is a really great card based one where you basically build a town for one year. It's like one year of prosperity before destruction. So you come up with like the story of this one year based on the seasons. Um, it's also, there's also a companion's tale, which kind of combines creating a character and then building a, a location as well. And the lore around that location, um, both of those games were big inspirations for Decima and it's like have a map component and things like that as well. Um, and for PBTA stone top does that, which it's like a iron age, bronze age type, uh, fantasy. I don't know if it's fantasy, actually. Like, story. I haven't played it. We had a AP of it that Emily ran. But it is very much focused on the actual city that you're... Or not, village. It's a village. It's not a city. You're building being a huge component and almost a character itself in the story. So there might be some mechanics that you can borrow slash steal from that system that could work for what you want to do. The, oh, go ahead. The thing that popped into my head was... um. I think it's for the fake games, uh, the Dresden Files games, mm. for specifically, which has you spend pretty much session zero building your city mm -hmm. that you're going to go play around in, and that way it gives all the players ownership in this city, and it is a character in your game that you all have had input in, and I think that that's maybe the way to go because everybody now already knows what the base looks like, so there's no explaining about what's going on. Everybody has cares about it, so they're not going to just like screw it, let's blast off and leave it. They're like, no, this is our base that we spent time building and we yeah. care about and we were upgrading. Um, and yeah, that's that was the thing that that's the only thing I could think of. But I'm not sure if that's the system you want to run it in. It's the only other thing. The the way I was interpreting this is that Leatherneck has a system that they want to run, but they want to make sure that the base itself also has uh, its own sort of story arc. Um, and to answer the first part of the question, I absolutely think that a location or a ship or something can have a story arc, uh, because if you look at things that, um, changing gears for one second, Joss Whedon is a piece of shit, but <laughs> Firefly and Serenity, Serenity was a character in the ship and yeah. developed kind of a personality and you knew where you were and it told parts of the story through the locations you were on the ship. And mm -hmm. you can absolutely import that into parts of your game, in this case, the base uh, being. Um, Kimmy was great to remind me about Stone Top, which I actually played in that AP. That's right. And it was, uh, it does do a good job with sort of advancing what happens in that town. It might be worth picking up to take a look at to see how, how that works. What I would think, though, is that if you're planning on having the players be ephemeral, if uh, there's going to be death and turnover, what you might want to do is every time someone dies or at the end of a session after everyone dies, do a little update on what their actions have contributed to how the base and how mm. the base has changed based on those actions and then reset it to that level until another player dies. And so with each death, you can kind of see how it's evolving from this kind of hellhole into this really cool utopia or this uh, savior for everyone. That's cool. I like I like the thought of progressing and having the hopefully the players contribute every time they their individual character dies oh yeah like yeah i would think it would totally have to be a, a you know a group consensus but maybe the person who dies gets special say because they're the one who advanced the the clock yeah <laughs> it may not, yeah that's cool but it may not even be dies it might be somebody you set up a mission or you make a, a 
let's say you want to buy a missile system from a nearby star system. And so you rage to have the convoy and you go get it and you mm-hmm. escape the pirates and your guy gets down there and he gets a missile system and then time advances and they're the mayor of the, of the, of, or the captain of this base. Right? Mm-hmm. And then time advances again and he's, his family takes over it. You, you, it doesn't have to be death at every turn, but it, certainly whatever the characters do need to affect the base. I also need to, you also need to be careful that this doesn't turn into glorified shopping. You get enough points and you go buy a missile system. You get enough mm-hmm. more points and otherwise you're playing a video game where you're just you know, <laughs> building up your base and putting pictures on the wall. And as fun as that is, I don't know if that is sustainable as a game. Maybe. That Depending maybe. on what your your players are looking for. That's true. It might be neat where... Like, they progress, and then, like, when a character dies, it jumps you forward in time a certain amount of time. Like, there's, like... Oh, that'd be neat. Yeah, so it's, it may not even be a huge amount of time. Maybe it's, like, when a character dies, it's, like, you jump three months or something like that, depending on exactly what your setting is. Um, Vossen actually has um, a mechanic, too, for adding and building on the base of the players. And it is horror-based, so that might be a Ooh. great thing to check out, too. Because I know in our AP of it right now, every session they're supposed to do, like they as they play, they find new rooms and resources and stuff mm. in their uh, in their house that they built, and that's a big part of that system. So maybe looking through that too, you'd have to switch up the. I mean, it's horror, so I know I keep thinking he, he says scum and villainy, so I keep jumping Thinking to the Star game, Wars. Vill- yeah. It's like, no, no, not Star Wars. Well, also the game Scum and Villainy. Yeah, no, no, but, you know, yeah. Which is that's, that's Star Wars with the serial well, numbers scratched it's, off. It's, it's kind of every uh, yes. space with the numbers filed off. Yeah, that's right. Too. But, like, much more complicated than other all-space games. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Plug, plug. Plug, plug. <laughs> we can get through a show without plugging something I'm working on. I'm not cool with it. Um, well, let's yeah. schedule that because we'll, we'll put one in that one doesn't. In. You get one. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's really cool. I'd love for you to write back and let us know what you end up doing or what you may have done since this was sent to us a little while ago. Um, but I love that. I love that type of mechanic in a game because it does, add, like you were saying, Stork, add ownership. And it really it, it creates an emotional reason for the players not to just be like, well, this sucks. I'm out of here. Like, oh, that's really key because there's right. been a couple of times when I've like clearly we're supposed to save the city and I have no investment in it. Yeah, and you really just yeah. want to leave. Let it burn. Yeah, I don't <laughs> care about these people. They were mean to us, and I don't really know anything about this city. So, yeah, yeah you really kind of have to bake that in at the very beginning so that they actually care. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Team Banana seventy one in the chat also suggests Bucket of Bolts, which is a solo journaling game, but it may have some cool mechanics you could steal for that. Um, I actually bought that, but I haven't read through it yet. It's one of those games I was like, I will buy all the space games because I'm writing a space <laughs> game and I will read them all. And then I haven't yeah, read them. You have to do your research. It's, yeah. I, I'd like to talk a little bit about like a place being a part of a, a character. And, and it's it's kind of an esoteric thought. But if you think about it, when you're back in the day, when you made a dungeon, you mapped it all out and it was an important character. Yeah. You, you had to read each you know, and, and it was, and and even in movies, haunted house is as important a character, maybe more so than oh, the yeah. actual people that are in it. Than Nostromo. yeah, there was tons of not dialogue, tons of not dialogue. That's a that's a thing. Follow right. me on this. Yeah. Where people are running around, whatever, and you're just looking at the uh-uh. the. And it was an important character in the mood of the piece. Right? Mm-hmm. Same with the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're you are 
stuck in this one place. You, at the end of the movie, you're as familiar with the layout of that place as anybody else. In the movie, it's it's. I totally understand how a place can become or is a character, or at the very least, an NPC. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that strange of a concept if you just sort of think about what you, it means to be a character or an NPC. Is it more? It's more than just a character. It's more than just a person. It could be an animal. It could be a house. It could be a ship. I know people who love uh, Supernatural because they love the Apollo, which has sort of become, is a character in, in a way for the show. If you're playing a Mad Max game, a Road Warrior game. Oh, yeah. Your car would be. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Um, yeah, also, Baby is the best character in Supernaturals. I love the Impala. Um, gosh. Now, I hate horror shows, movies. Like, I don't really watch them. But there was one that my um, Sam, my partner, showed me. It was like. It was a couple years ago now, and I can't remember what the name of it was, but it was so good because it was so character driven. But the house was always like this, um, like presence, even when the characters left, because it started out and I'm not going to do spoilers. I can't even remember the name of it. I'm so bad with names. But like it was about a family who went and moved into a house for a time and just experienced scary stuff. They moved out. And it was about how their lives devolved. Yeah, that's actually sort of based on a real story. Uh, that turned out the house was was. It's not a spoiler because it's in the it's in the. I think it's the same one. The house was turned into a like a funeral parlor. Is that that one? No, I don't think so. It's like the something Maybe. the something horror the something affair the something. But it's a, it's not a yeah. series, right? No, it was a TV series. Oh, okay. It was absolutely a TV series. Very was it high. Hill House. Yeah, it's something, something like that. Like I think that? something like that. Um, I, don't, I don't watch horror, so I don't know. Yeah, but but was, I remember people talking. Yeah. About the Haunting of Hill House was like one of the scariest movies I ever saw as a kid. The original, terrifying. Yeah. I, I think that's that's what they made into the series. Yeah, loosely. Um, the but ghost of Mr. Chicken scared the stuff <laughs> out of the kid. No, it's it's horrifying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the cool thing about this story, and the only reason I watched it, and literally Sam sat there and was like, "Okay, okay." Look away right now. Don't look at it. It is like hide under the blanket <laughs> until it was. But it was so well done with the characters and the story with the characters, like apart from the horror and like how, like the family had moved away and the kids were all adults by now. And it was like how that experience had like fucked up their lives and how some of them thought it was real, how some of them didn't and how they all just kept getting sucked back to the house and how it affected their lives. And even though a huge portion, many episodes take place way far away, like the other side of the country from the house. Like the house is just this permanent fixture in their lives. So it, I don't know that it was a really great, I don't know if it was the haunting. It it was fairly recent. It's a, it's a newer show. I'll come up with it. But the, uh, the house sort of loomed over their lives. Over, even when, even they, were... when they were like in New York City, super far away. It was like always something that was there. So if I remember what the name of that series is, that might be a good thing to watch. But it, it really it is powerful. Country? No. It, it, it was, does sound very Lovecrafty. It was before. I think it was before Love Lovecraft Country, but not super long before. There, I'll, I'll look. I'll, I'll Google while we're talking about the next email, and I'll come up with it. But like, well, you'll have time, right? But that's also a great example of how the house, even when they're not at the house, can be a huge character in the story, and working towards that with 
your campaign might be a really great thing. Like having the characters create a reason that, you know, the house is always on their mind or in the back of their mind, or they can't really, even if they're not there, they can't completely forget about it. So. Were you playing a Bill's Traveler game where he gave them a ship and the ship turned out to be haunted? And so, so was, Bill was playing these, these NPCs that were part of the ship. Was that, were you in it? No. Okay. Hmm. Anyway, it's, it's one of his, uh, one of the uh, latest APs he had. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, oh yes. Uh, the haunting on of Hill House. Okay. Oh yeah, and uh, it, it's a series of that. Because the original movie terrified me. Yes, it's not the movie. It's a really high quality, well produced series. series. And there was a remake of it too, which wasn't nearly yeah, as scary yeah. as the original. But it came out in 2018. There you go. Okay. So and then oh yeah, they had a second season, but I haven't watched the second season, which has all the same actors playing all different roles completely. And that was The Haunting of Blythe Manor, I think, or something like that. They had two seasons. I didn't watch the second season. Hmm. But it's really good. And then just get a friend or a partner who's already watched it if you don't like it. And then, like, hide. Because I loved watching it, but I just didn't want to see any of this. The movie. anxiety just goes up. And, yeah. It does. And I, and I get images in my head, and I can't get them out. So I'll just lay there in bed, like, thinking of, like, the really scary thing and, like, not sleep. So That's a good segue. Yeah. Ready to go. Hello, Kimmy and the Happy Jacks team. I've been playing and GMing RPGs since the early 1980s. I'm a relatively new listener to the podcast, and I've become fairly active in the Happy Jacks Discord. What a great community. A big thank you to Kimmy for inviting me over from the Magpie Games Discord. I hadn't encountered the show before. Here's a little RPG horror story I'd like to share from Piazzo Game 2019. Also, welcome. We're happy you're here. to last in-person <laughs> RPG convention I attended before the pandemic hit. Yeah. A little background. I used to be a huge Pathfinder fan and was once very active in the Pathfinder online community. I was Haladar at the Piazza message boards. Anyone? 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 Okay. But starting in 2016 or so, I had started drifting more and more into the story-focused RPGs like Powered by the Apocalypse Family Games. By the time of the convention, I wasn't really playing Pathfinder or any other D20 games. Still... I'd had a lot of fun in the previous Piazza games. Still had a lot of friends in the Piazza... Piazza... Paizo? Paizo. I've, I've screwed up on my phone to realize that I said it wrong. Paizo community. Uh, and there have been a number of non-Paizo games in the convention schedule in the past, including a few that I ran. So I decided to fly to Seattle to attend. Overall, I had a very good time at the PaizoCon 2019, with one exception. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I'm a big fan of horror RPGs like Trial of, Trial of Cthulhu. Mothership, Trophy Dark, and Bluebeard's Bride. I love a good creepy story that builds dread and suspense, where the game builds to a glorious demise and the player character uh, the glorious demise of the player characters. That said, I'm not a big fan of Splatterfest gross out horror. I get squeamish at excessive descriptions of gore, especially anything that has to do with eyes. Yeah. I only do eyes from Blade Runner, remember that? <laughs> Two, if only you could see what I've, I've seen, seen with, with your, your eyes. eyes. <laughs> Yeah, Kadave has a thing with eyes, too. It's like always like, no, thank you. No eyes, though. Despite having played uh, Starfinder once or twice and having not bought my copy of the Starfinder Core Rulebook at the con, I signed up for Starfinder Horror, Starfinder Horror Game from a third-party publisher. The game was described as a creepy scenario set in an orbital food production facility after authorities lost contact and that the touchstones for the adventure included the films Alien and Event Horizon. I like sci-fi horror, and I like those films, so I signed up. 
Additionally, the GM of the session, who was not the writer of the adventure, was a well-known and respected author of several horror-themed Pathfinder adventure modules, and I was really looking forward to seeing a GM style. Out of respect for his privacy, I'm not going to name him. Okay, call. At game time, I was one of five players. Two of us had only played Starfinder once or twice and weren't all that familiar with the rules. Three three players had never played Starfinder before. The GM was a little late and apologized at the start at he had never run Starfinder game before and was doing so as a favor to the scenario author. Red flag number one. Everyone introduced themselves and the GM launched right into the adventure background and presented us with our choice of pre-generated characters. I asked him if we were going to have a safety discussion, and the GM gave me a blank look. Uh, what do you mean by a safety discussion? I replied, you know, lines and veils, X-card, script changes, that stuff. He furrowed his brow and said, I have no idea what you mean by those terms. So let's just get started, okay? Red flag number two! (laughs) My instincts told me that I should bail then and there, and I decided to stick it out. This was a mistake. The GM handed out the pregens. They were all one-page character sheets of first-level Starfinder characters that seemed to have been printed off a hero lab. The sheets had names of the various abilities, spells, feats, etc. listed, but no descriptions of what those abilities did or how they worked. Red flag number three! (coughs) Apparently, the author of the scenario assumed that only players already familiar with Starfinder's rather complex rules would be attending this convention game, despite it only having been on the market for two years. None of the players at the table had SF for a rule book with him, and the GM said that he needed his copy because he wasn't familiar with the game. <laughs> we tried to access Starfinder SRD to view the rules on our phones and tablets, but the Wi-Fi in the room was only accessible to the people who were actually staying at the convention center motel, which was only two of us, and the SRD page wasn't being responsible, uh, wasn't being responsive, and was timed out, timing out. We ended up borrowing two Starfinder rulebooks from some of the other players at different games in the same room, and the five of us all spent the next 40 minutes or four uh, of the four-hour convention slot frantically copying over the rules for our characters' various abilities. While we were doing that, the GM was flipping between his copy of the module and the rulebook and taking notes to make sure he knew how to run the encounters. He even commented that he was glad we were taking so long because he hadn't come up with the rules before. He hadn't read some of the rules before. Red flag number four! (coughs) See, I would have left by now. Yeah. I'd be already, this is like, I don't care how, okay. Yeah. Yeah. By now, we're about 90 minutes into our four-hour slot, and we're already started, and we're finally starting. We get the mission briefing. It's clear that our quest giver, it's clear from our quest giver that he doesn't care whether or not we come back alive. (laughs) Upon questioning, he tells us. Cool. In that case, we don't need to come back. He wouldn't guarantee that our next of kin would receive our pay when I asked for our money or for some safety guarantees. The response is, well, that's the job offer. If you don't like it, there's the door. Red flag number five. (coughs) I really had to sit there for a long minute because I could not think of a single in-game reason that this character would actually take this job. Our quest giver basically told us it was a suicide mission. But I decided that rejecting the premise of the adventure wasn't really good sportsmanship as a player, so... The character reluctantly agreed. I've done that. Once we get to Silent Space Station, it was clear that this was a different sort of horror than was originally advertised in the convention blurb. The interior of the docking bay was splattered with blood and viscera, and someone had scrawled warnings on the walls in blood. In the second room, we encountered some really disgusting monster that had an attack that would literally rip PC's arms out. And that happened to one of the other PCs. After the fight, 
We press on into the next room. The GM says, and you see this. And he holds up an extremely disturbing illustration of mutilated corpses with dangling eyeballs. That's from the module. No warning. No asking for permission. If we wanted to see it, he just sprung it on us. Red flag number six, listeners. <clears throat> this out. was an illustration that I cannot unsee. And I decided I'd had enough of this. We hadn't established an open we hadn't established an open-door policy, and I felt that just quitting the game and walking away would be taken as an insult. So I decided to fake my way out. I have a fake call app on my phone that I will pretend to call you after, the, after a set amount of time so that you can pretend to be called away for some reason. I told the table that I was my wife back home, and uh, there was an emergency I need to take care of and gather my stuff and left. I what? was kind of... I was okay. No, no. Wait. I have to pause. Yeah. I did, had no idea this app existed. Me either. I was like, oh my God, I want that. Well, I, I have to find this. <laughs> I sat through so Let many bad dates or like. I was pre- going to say, yeah. it's, for, it's a dating app. It's yeah. for, it's for, you set it ahead of time and, and in case the date is going badly, you can, it gives you an out or you can just say, oh, I'll, I'll, pay, I'll get it later if it's going well. Yeah. Like I've had so many times where I was like, especially when I was um, doing online dating where I'd like set up with a friend to call and then I'd just like, do that exact thing. Oh, this is an emergency. I have to. Oh, I'm so sorry. I have to go. But or just like silence it. Oh, oh, my friend's calling. I can, I'll talk to her later. Like <laughs> I guess there's also like some safety tools in some bars in the bathrooms. So it's like if the, if if you have a date that's being creepy or weird, yeah. It's like in, in the bathrooms, they say go to the bartender and order this, and they will escort you out or whatever, which is super cool because. I I think everybody has needed that at one point, whether it's some guy who's drunk at the bar and wants to pick a fight with you or, mm-hmm. I mean, it's always nice to have an out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was kind of shaken from that experience. So I walked into the sales hall and ended up playing a game of Munchkin Pathfinder with Steve Jackson Games people to calm my nerves. They were very happy to let me vent about the experience. And we played that very silly game. Lesson learned. One, just because you're a respected RPG author doesn't mean you're a good GM. Two. Never playing an RPG that doesn't establish a set of safety practices at the start of the game. Three, trust your instincts when you don't think you'll be a good fit for the game. Thanks for taking the time to consider this story. Sincerely, Mike F. Ithaca, New York, USA. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot of red flags. But I think when they sat down and the GM's like, I don't really know this system while I'm running this as a friend. Like, even then, you're like... All the other red flags, like if you really wanted to play a system, I could see myself. I was like, I really want to see how this works. I'm going to kind of ignore these other things, but especially well, when they or, said that. Or in this case, the the Mike Mike mm-hmm. did Mike. I misremember that Mike Mike was saying that that he liked the you know he liked that that person as an author of mm-hmm. other stories and wanted to see how they they GM. Like yeah. I can totally see, especially that first one, kind of shelving your misgiving because. I know a lot of people who are great game masters who can run anything off the cuff, even if they haven't read the adventure, because they're really good at improvising. Maybe this guy was one of those people, but yeah. and you want to see. So I totally get sticking in there, but absolutely. <laughs> I have a really high tolerance for gore and whatever. I just as a storyteller or whatever, I've just I've explored all that and it really doesn't bother me. But I would have checked out long before then. I would have checked out when he said he he didn't ever run it before and wasn't prepared. And that's when I would have set my phone app up. I mean, kudos to you for sticking through it. 
the the Goran Visser wouldn't have bothered me. It, it was up to that point. Everything else would have pissed me off. I would have left. I'm yeah. like, it's 40 minutes. And we haven't played the game. I got to go. There's beer at the bar or something else I can be doing. Right. I can get it. There's three movies somewhere. in my room. I can watch a whole movie <laughs> <laughs> and come back and play another game. Right. Rather than sit through this crap. Yeah. And I don't mind if I, at the beginning of a con game, if it's like, like creating a setting or like creating you know, stuff between the players, but literally almost an hour of us just looking up how to play the game. It's like, that's not why over an hour, 90 minutes. Oh yeah. And more than that, you're covering for this GM who's so inept that he didn't even supply the rules for the players. He just assumed, Oh, Oh, you guys need the rules too. What do you need the rules for? Like, fuck. You. Yeah, the GM showing up and expecting the players to know the system better than he did. It's like, that's shitty as fuck. Or like, he didn't, he, there's no Xeroxes of, of like the pertinent pages. There's no, nothing. Yeah. They had to go and borrow books from strangers right. in the room. Yeah, that's so embarrassing. Oh the my GM gosh. should have been embarrassed. Instead, he just plowed yeah. along. And, oh, yeah, I'm so glad you guys are you know taking a long time because I sure needed it because I haven't prepared. <laughs> Like I'm, I would have marched out right then and said, "You know what? I'm going to go get my 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 book. Uh, let me take my stuff with me while I'm yeah. at it, and yeah. never come back. Yeah, yeah. screw and that." Starfinder's crunchy as hell. Like it's it's an older system. It's got a lot of stuff, and it's one of those things where if you don't do the rules correctly, it screws everything else up. I don't I don't care. Even if I know the system, I want my abilities on the page. Yeah, I don't want to like just say you can do this thing, and now I have to go search for it in a book. I just I need it there so that I can reference it quickly. Mm-hmm. Otherwise. Hey, can I borrow the book back even around a table? Because you always have to look for some nuance. Like, what is this? I think this ability can do. I got better. I better double check. Yeah. It's like at the very least, if you're going to pre-gen the character, give them a stack of cards that has the abilities printed on them, so they at least know what you they've got. That would have solved everything. Right. Or take two seconds to type in a one-word sentence that said, "This does X." Or page page, page number. Two. Yes. Yeah. Right. Oh, and that God. way they can just go, "Oh, cool." Because I do that on my character sheets all the time. For like, oh, I don't room, know what this yeah. does. You can have the room for all the abilities. Yeah. I mean, right. Don't, what don't what, what really got right. what really got me was apparently this person's supposed to be a really good storyteller, or at least a good uh, writer for for horror adventures. And yet they had zero way to interact with some to a entice anyone to take this mission or b uh you know it had no interest in making sure that the characters wanted to do it at all it was I grew up a long time ago playing first edition Dungeons and Dragons, and there was this whole thing about just reading the box text, and if it wasn't oh, yeah. in the box text, you didn't say it you didn't say yeah. it. And so if someone said, oh, they're going to give you this quest, and then your other player goes, well, I don't want to take that quest, you'd be like, well, well what do you, I, uh, I guess we have to. Yeah. You don't have a choice. Yeah. You take wandering damage until you take the quest. Yeah. yeah. I, I guess we'll go play Nintendo then, because yeah. if you don't take this quest. Yeah. So this is 2019. The other thing that really bothers me is that this person's supposed to be a game designer, and the whole idea of safety tools and all that was foreign to them. Never heard of it. Looked at them blankly in the face. And this is 2019. Mm-hmm. So all of that stuff had been around. I would have given him a pass if it was like 2009 or something. It was still fairly new. But 2019, you should know better. No, there's a difference between an adventure writer and a game designer, though. Still, I mean, still, it's not an excuse. Everybody should use them. But I think people who write adventures sometimes, since they're accessing the mechanics of pre-existing games to write the adventure, they don't necessarily think of, like, the overall how to run a game mechanics that someone who's designing a game needs to they, think about always. They didn't even know what they were. Yeah, well, that's... That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's my... Yeah, and, and, and have no curiosity to be like, oh, what's that? Right. Just like, 
I don't know what those mean, so let's play. Right. Yeah. I was, like, I was, no, 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 no. It was like, you uh, don't know what those mean. What do you mean We're by safety not discussion? Playing. Yeah. <laughs> right. What do you mean by safety discussion? He furled his brow and said, I have no idea what you mean by these terms. Yeah. Uh, that's, yeah. yeah. Like 2019 to be so out of touch with the yeah. overarching gaming yes. community to not even have heard of them. Yes. What do you. Whether you like the safety rules or not, it's the, this is something that is prevalent now throughout all of gaming. And the fact that they didn't even know it, I would have left. I'm yeah. like, I'm, it's like saying, yeah, do you know who Gary guy? I don't know who this guy Gax person is, but we're going to be playing D&D. I'm like, all right, I'm out of here. Bye-bye. It's like, it's one of the base tenets of the game. You, for you ought to know these things. And especially for a horror game, which is going to be like, you know, you're absolutely dealing with things that are going to be horrific by the title of the right. game. And you don't know where everyone's boundaries are. Right. Right. Yeah, there's a, uh... and yeah, yeah, he's running a horror game, and not only did not use safety tools, but didn't know what they were. They even existed. I'm yeah. I'm shocked. Yeah, I've run into a lot of people who at this point hate them or are against them, and by run into people, I mean on Twitter and t- TikTok who are like safety tools, and I hate them, but to not even. <laughs> But that's my that's my asshole voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Safety tools, I hate them. They're all twelve year old boys, aren't yeah. they? <laughs> Who knows? Actually, a huge portion of them are like much older, fifty year old grog. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm not going to change the, the stuff and the fun we can all have to. So for one person who can't handle it, some so. Mary, some, some snowflake. Yeah. Oh, fucking. Okay. So uh, as, but, as, a, as a small line on yeah. that, the the when they say. I went through it and I turned out just fine. No, no, no you did not. Yes, like if that's your response when someone says they have a problem. Yeah. But to not even have heard of them and have an, and have a bad opinion. It's just like. I'm a gaming professional who's never heard of one of the base tenets of the rules these days. Yeah, yeah. that's that's how good I am. I'm wondering almost like if he just doesn't like them. So it's easier than like engaging and explaining why he doesn't like them. He's like, oh, I don't know what those are. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I would have bailed long before the horror well, yeah. pictures even showed up. I yeah, been for like, sure. But I don't, Mike, I, you were very brave, and yeah. I'm glad you spent your time in a better way. <laughs> I actually, one of the conventions we went to, there was a guy who was also a game designer and worked for Steve Jackson Games and some other game companies and stuff, and he was a terrible GM, vindictive, like no leeway, no 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 wiggle room. Like uh, it's like nope. No, but if you, if you can do, all right, and it wouldn't warn you. You just he yeah. killed people, and like even even Casey and and uh, Bruce, who have a pretty big wiggle room for bullshit, hated it. Yeah, so it happens. Just yeah. because they are employed by a gaming company doesn't mean they're good GMs. Yeah. And I think that was like what is it, Revelation number two that he came with. Came yeah. up with. Is it because you're just because you're working at an RPG author doesn't mean you're a good GM. Revelation yeah. number one. And since Steve Jackson was mentioned, we have a, an obligatory story to tell because it's happened so long ago. I think a lot of people don't remember or have never no. heard that episode. <laughs> so long time ago in the Happy Jacks. The past, I need to preface this by saying that Steve Jackson is a famous curmudgeon. Yes, he right. Is. I mean, no, yeah. It's there's no, it's no secret. No, He's no, a, no. He is a big, big curmudgeon. Yeah. Well, and yeah, it, it was very funny. We died laughing, but we were doing an interview. Steve, Steve Jackson came on the show years ago. Um, <laughs> I think it was still the podcast. It was no big cast. And we yeah, were there was just, no. It was they, way they like, before they like 
AOL dialed in or something. And then we were like, yeah. <laughs> Way back in the day. Um, <laughs> and so we're like, we hadn't really done interviews because we've never really been an interview show. We've always been based on emails and stuff. So Stu with his journalism degree was like, I know how to do an interview. And and he actually, Steve knew Stu because Stu would back in the day would write letters to yeah. them. And, and so anyway, they, they knew each other, at least by name and such. Oh, hi, Stu. How are you? Yeah. So he came on the show and we were like trying to be cool and professional and ask him questions. <laughs> and Dear Stork actually asked what I, at the time I thought was a really good question. A softball it was, question. Uh, it's any question you would ask somebody just to give them a chance to expand upon how great they are. Yeah. So I giving him this real softball question so that he could talk about how bitching he is. Yeah. So, you know, I, I read once that and or that uh, Ursula Le Guin came up with her idea for uh, Dispossessed by Stepping Out of the Shower. I was like, where do you come up with all of these great gaming ideas? And Steve he, Jackson was like, that's a stupid question. Like, yeah. total dry. And like, it was just really funny. And we all just started laughing so hard that he must have thought we were even more ridiculous. Like, But it, it was, I thought it was hilarious because we were all like waiting for like, the wisdom of where you get your ideas. It's a total softball question. 100%. I mean, it really wasn't even designed yeah. for a like a, a legitimate answer. Like, well, I, I know it turns out that I'm a savant and uh, these ideas pop into my head. Like, <laughs> I, I didn't even want that. What I wanted to do was expand upon the creativity of gaming. Yeah. It's like it was an open ended bullshit question, and he called bullshit on it. It was very funny. <laughs> I thought it was a really good question. I was like, oh, I know. Maybe right? it's in the shower with your head and shoulder shampoo. Who knows? Right. What's the secret? Yeah. Well, I go jogging or whatever it is that inspired <laughs> yeah. me. I don't know. And but it was his chance to tell us, like, you know, yeah. his creative process. And yeah. it wasn't he, even a no but. It was, was just a no. He was having none of it. He called me an idiot. <laughs> it was a very, very funny moment. I have to, I don't even think that episode is up anymore. It was really early on. It might yeah. have been first season, maybe second season, but it was still Something. the podcast. Yeah. And I remember hearing that because I used to listen to the podcast all day long while I was working. Yeah. Oh, man. I'll, I'll see if I can dig up a link for it or something and post it somewhere. But uh, good good memories. Good memories. All right. The last time I ever asked a sophomore question. Yeah. <laughs> you learned. I do remember there asking. That, well, I, learned, I did learn. And when we had, um, we had, uh, who invented Savage Worlds? Sean. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Chain. Chain. Shane Hensley on, I asked him like, because uh, your gaming book is so small, and so and so, uh, and, you know, it's so concise, and and then the price point is so low. Were you concerned that nobody would take your game seriously? And he goes, "We were absolutely terrified." And he went on for a good twenty minutes yeah. about marketing, which is what I probably should have asked Steve Jackson. Something more intelligent than, "Hey Shane, where do you get your ideas from?" <laughs> to be fair, it really was one of the first times we had like a real like known person on the show and it, we were and Shane's we were, not a curmudgeon and Steve no, yeah. is so. Steve right. is, yeah it's part of his brand yes <laughs> yes all right okay. next want, email do you want me to hit this last one or do you want to uh did you both read one right yeah okay but mine was short I don't mind reading this one I can read it I read things all right we got us a reader if you want to <laughs> greetings grand general of the golden lasso and her great gaming guard I like that one okay it's Shane from just That's outside acceptable. Washington, D.C., perhaps better known as Are You Jedi on the Discord. Back when my second of two email, uh, back with my second of two emails. Okay, I actually played, put this email in first, sorry. Um, asking about the behind the scenes wizardry that is game design, development, and deployment. Today's question is about having that nose for marketing, uh, for making good games, business decisions. Oh my gosh. Okay. 
and the deployment that doesn't involve choosing your strategy with a roll of the die. Sure, most of us are here to play or run games, but I hear when I hear so much about people in Happy Jack's community making or selling their own games, I thought it would be helpful to ask about the business side too. Of course, I'll ask on Discord too, but you all are fun and live. So to start, let's talk about the case of D&D Spelljammer. For listeners not familiar with Spelljammer, it is a campaign setting for advanced D&D or a D&D second edition era that was essentially D&D in space and offered a way to connect other campaign settings together. It was discontinued by third, de- third edition, although fan mods continued to exist uh, to continue to exist for new versions. This past April, Wizards of the Coast announced they were bringing back Spelljammer. This is all fine and good. Not much new about reviving old game lines, especially when it's done by the gaming behemoth, the behemoth's Wizard of the Coast, which was also a super great announcement. This is not an email. Like, I'm like, okay, I've been spending two years designing a space game and D and D's releasing a space game. <laughs> Crap. Oh, well. What I found interesting was that shortly before the announcement, Wizards of the Second Edition Wizards of the Second Edition Spelljammer product. Wizards puts the Second Edition Spelljammer products on sale. Sorry, I had to rewrite that sentence a little bit for you. I don't think they are on sale anymore. I'm guessing this is a marketing tactic. Releasing new digital copies of older products does not cost much or anything at all mm-hmm. if it was already prepared for digital publication. It isn't not like it's not like they are making new hard copy box texts. It could also be a low cost way for them to drum up hype for a new edition. On the other hand, I remain skeptical that newer D&D gamers would be interested in buying something that old, unless they're intentionally rocking an AD&D campaign or making an OSR hack. Plus, I'm sure we've all lamented about how much we spend on game products, so is there a cost-benefit associated? Buy old Spelljammer now or wait a few months and buy new Spelljammer or maybe buy something else shiny right now? So my question, or really a conversation for the crew tonight, does it seem odd to you to release an older edition of a product when you are on the precipice of releasing a new edition of that product? If you're not printing hard copies of old products, does it make sense to push or offer the digital sales for those older products? Perhaps making money on those sales uh, now and hedge your bets to get them coming back for the updated version coming soon? Mayor Dice roll, stork it, if only because critical fumbles are much more memorable and fun than critical successes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All the best. Sean from just outside Washington, D.C. And are you Jedi on the Discord? P.S. Drink a toast to the person to your right. Is it? Oh. Yay! <laughs> P.P.S. What is one game now out of print if that was, uh, that if it was re-released digitally only that you would go to shut up and take my money mode instantly? Let's answer the first part first. Um, I think it's Perfectly. If you in the music industry, there's people that sit on catalogs of old music, and let's use Frank Sinatra as an example, right? So there's lots and lots and lots of old Frank Sinatra songs, and every now and again they digitally remaster them and dust them off and put them in together in collected sets because they already own that music. They might as well be making money off of it. Mm-hmm. It's not doing them any good just sitting in their vaults, and they re-release it to much new hype. I've discovered with gamers. People find an edition and they kind of stick with it. They're like, I'm tired of buying new splat books. I'm tired of buying books. This game works. I know the rules backwards and forwards. I'm not moving. So there's a lot of people stuck in second edition or third edition or fourth edition. And that's their game of choice. And that's that's totally cool. So 
if you release something that can add on to those games that doesn't cost you anything that's been out of print, you're going to make money by selling it again. So you're, they've already made money the first time when they sold it and maybe the second time when they re-released it and such and, and dusted it off. And now they're making money a third time. So basically it's free money for them. Um, and I, it, it does generate hype and it does please the people who are like, oh, yeah, I lost all my Spelljammer books in the fire. And now it's so cool <laughs> that there's a digital. Oh, yay. Because these guys have been playing second edition since the 80s and they haven't they don't care. They, they That's their game. That's what they want. And now that Spelljammer is available to them again, they're pleased. So I, it's I think it's a multi pronged attack and I think it's really smart. And again, using the music industry, they're sitting on a catalog of all of this cool stuff. You might as well try to make money off of it again, although it doesn't do any good just sitting there in their vaults. So to to dovetail on that, um, a that's like what the Disney Vault does, where mm-hmm. they sit on their sit on their movies and then announce that they're releasing this old movie that all the parents remember really fondly and for their kids, but only for a limited time, so that they can keep the hype and the marketing and, and all that. Well, on they it. also have to do it to keep the copyrights. Of course, but but I, but I mean, really, like, that's why sure. they do that. But but it works for the other way too, yeah. because it was just about the copyrights; they could keep them out in perpetuity. But if I knew that I can always go find a copy of the Jungle Book, I'm less inclined to buy it when I can only buy the Jungle Book. Now there's live action period. Well, why would I want that? Yeah, <laughs> I, I have the edition that I know. Yeah, nobody exactly. wanted that ever. Actually, it was it was it wasn't bad. Pretty. It was um, it was actually really good. Of the live action, it was one of the the better ones. I really liked it, actually. I did too. You know, I got burned out on the Lion King with and the Little Mermaid with my little sister, and I have rarely gone back to see a Disney movie after that. <laughs> I think I saw either of those. Oh. Live action, yeah. Oh, I haven't seen the live action. Oh, because I've caught that up. But there was a time when I could actually recite the entire Little Mermaid from memory with oh, yeah. no other cues because I saw it so many times with my little sister. Anyway, uh, back look, look back to this stuff. Back to the story. Isn't it yeah. neat? Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't you think my collection's complete? Well, now that they've released it on PDF, <laughs> yes. Which is the other point I actually wanted to make, is that maybe there are people who got really into that and had it, but never picked up that splat book or yeah. whatever. And now, if you can pick up 10 of them for a nominal price, because they're PDF, why wouldn't you want to expand what you had in yeah. that collection, what you're playing? Suddenly you have new material. Exactly. I want to be where the PDFs are. <laughs> I want to see, I want to see a tablet. Sorry, I'll stop. No, it's perfect. Um, what I want to say is actually they're not aiming, I don't think they're aiming for new gamers because I think you're right. I think that people who are on third, fourth, fifth edition, they don't care about second edition for uh, for Spelljammer. Who they are trying to target is people like me. And I will say Spelljammer holds a place in my heart Uh I will fully admit it is an ugly baby, but it's my ugly baby. <laughs> and it was the first box set that I ever bought of, on my own. So it, and I had it for years and years and years. And stupidly, at some point, I did the, well, I'm an adult now and I'm going to put away my childish things. And it was one of the things that finally made the cut that was like, I, I never play this. I think it's really cool, but you know, I, but no one else is interested in it. So I'm going to get rid of it. So for me, hearing that. Spelljammer is coming back in 5th edition, I'm super excited about. And if I'd known they were doing the PDFs, I might have gone and bought all the PDFs just because there are things in there I really like. You know, give me a dragonfly ship. I'm ha- I'm so happy. Nothing else. You can just go through the PDFs and look at the art and tear up. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because yeah. oftentimes or, you're like, go, 
Oh yeah, that picture. Right. Yeah, Mordecai running through the <laughs> through the through the streets and oh yeah. So yeah, it's it's funny how we get nostalgic for just even the look of the right. Pages. Yeah, yeah, the look and the feel and the and the stuff like that. So I, I don't think it's a. I think it's a let's see if we can go back to the well for the people who know what this is and who want to get excited about it. And also, some of those are also going to be those curmudgeonly people who are like, well, I don't want to get in 5e because I don't play 5e, blah, 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 blah. But you're still giving them part of the excitement of getting to play in Spelljammer, which they might not have picked up. It wasn't terribly uh, – it wasn't – very well known and loved at the time that it came out. And I think a lot of people view it through rose-colored glasses later. Because uh, I'll be honest, it was really a mess. It was a mess. <laughs> TSR put out some terrible games. Like, yeah. uh, was it the spy game they put out that, that Dave and uh, Spycraft or something? It was horrible. It was full of charts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's such an awful game. They put out a lot of bad games, which... I get if you if you put out a really terrible game, you wouldn't want to re-release it now. Right. I mean, maybe you want to completely rewrite it, but you want to re-release it. But something like this, which is just sort of like an amendment to the game that already existed, it's easier than like oh yeah, it's it's like three different subsets of rules that they just kind of mashed together and right. said you'll make it work. <laughs> you guys are clever. That'll be fine. <laughs> it's all optional anyway. There aren't right. any guidelines. Right. You have a good GM. Yeah. <laughs> Part of me wonders if it's their way of kind of like staving off complaints about people saying this isn't available anymore because people are wondering that about you know, like everyone now that they've acquired D&D Beyond, like what happens to all my 5e stuff if uh, Wizards of the Coast release, releases a new edition of D&D? Like, are they going to keep... like they're going to be doing? Exactly. Uh, like what happens to all my 5e stuff in D&D Beyond? Like, does it get deleted? Blah, blah, blah. I feel like releasing all the old Spelljammer stuff was their way of saying, okay, this is this is your chance. Like, get it now or don't complain later. Um, it's puzzling to me yeah. that they don't support any of their old games. It's like, that could be a cash cow. Even if you just put out one module a year for any one of the older systems, that would just be something that they could sell. Because there's, like I said, there's people that have stuck with this, an edition and they don't move anymore. Yeah. They, have all the, they, have all the, they have all the games, the rules memorized. They have all the books. They don't need anything more. But if you were to throw out a new adventure or a new splat book for three, three point, well, not three point, but that's Pathfinder, but four or E or something, people would be like, oh, that's my game. Oh, cool. Right. Right, uh, and it doesn't cost them anything. They have people on staff that are sitting around doing nothing anyway. Yeah, but all those people are making new content for their new game. So when you really look at the cost of paying people to develop yeah. high enough quality product that it could actually be sold by Wizards of the Coast currently, even paying one person for their salary for one year probably would be much more than they'd make off the release. I get of it. One it's like it's like Windows still making programs for XP. It's yeah. like why would they do that because they're right. trying to make. The latest product worked. Right. Well, and <laughs> we got rid of the one that was fine that worked. We gave you another one that's a lemon, and we're going to get that working. And then we'll once it's fixed and working fine, like we'll yeah. put another one. And with um, is it DMs Guild? Like people are making tons of third party content for their games that is they're actually getting a piece. That they're of. already siphoning off. Anyway. Yeah, so they get like a little yeah. fraction of your money for all the work that you do. It's not that for, little, from what I understand. No, it's a, it's a pretty big chunk of what it is for each sale. But 
you know, so they're already getting money off that. They, in the long run, will make more money by not supporting those old things and forcing people to buy all the new books Just in like the Windows. long run. Yeah, exactly. Or to buy stuff on DMs Guild because that is all the all the great part of hiring someone to do it, except they don't have to hire them. Yeah. They don't have to onboard them. They don't have to provide any things. They just need to coast off the people who are so still so, so excited about that they want to put out new content. The learning curve of new learning all these D&D games has got it was so exhausting that I've stopped. <laughs> I like I they basically what do they call it? They demand destruction mm-hmm. for me, which is like you've asked so much of me to keep up with you. I've gone through three editions now and I'm done with you. Screw it. <laughs> it's you, you treat me with such disdain that every now, now everything's working fine. I got, I got to figure it all out. And things have got, and now you drop another edition that is clunky and doesn't work. And I got to start all over again. Oh, and you're making no more. You're not supporting the old, the old edition. I guess, really I guess I'm the kicked puppy. Cause I keep, cause every time they do, I'm like, all right, right gonna I'm going to read one. the new set of rules. <laughs> well, it's, again, I'm, I'm really excited about this edition. I mean, using the windows analogies after a while, you know, or you won't work all that, but it does work. Right. It just doesn't. It... Well, I've been doing it as long as you have. I mean, yeah. I remember I had, I had red box. I had first yeah. edition. I had second edition third. I didn't go into 3.5 cause that was just a goddamn cash grab, <laughs> but I went, I went fully into fourth. True. I'm heavy into fifth, all that stuff. When six comes out, I'll be all over that. But I have a friend who still runs two. Uh, second edition. Uh, yeah. No, he still runs first edition. Oh, wow. really? He, 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 he got that burnout real quick where he did not want to learn second edition rules. <laughs> and so he still runs See, first edition. I keep saying second edition, but it really to AD and D like the yeah. players. Have, like, that's really but what I, oops, sorry. Whoa. Hey, big noise. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I, cause I have a friend the same way. That's the game. He knows he has all the books and he, runs them and they're fun and i actually when i played a game with him once it was tim graffham we were at oh, his yeah. house for a weekend and i was like this is great i still know all these rules <laughs> this is like it's like wearing that comfortable pair of shoes you've had for a long time or your favorite pair of shorts or something you're like ah I, this is just oh great. revisit thaco revisit very, page 88 with the chart that had yes. all, all of your uh, oh, spell, spell resistance. So yeah. all of your saves yep I think also, I mean, it is just great marketing, like getting that momentum built up for your release of a big game. Um, A lot of times, like movies will do this if they're a remake of an old TV show or something like suddenly everyone who has the rights to that TV show will start streaming or replaying the that TV show. And people who want to play the new edition, especially I think nowadays, so many people who are doing streaming and stuff like that want to be like, we're going to be the first people to run this game um, might actually buy those old editions to just be start to be familiar with the world. Cause if they can read the splat books for it and stuff like that, that can give them a lot of oh, very lore or yeah, other things going all on. All that stuff. So all they have to really do when the uh, is they can probably start already in their heads. If they're familiar with five E like skinning, how it will work. And all they really need is like the, the actual monster builds and stuff like that. When the new edition comes out. Right. There's a lot of business models that you could use. I mean, there's a pay for play model, which is you could basically release the core game for free. And then you charge for all of the splat books and character generators and all that stuff. Or, you know, you could, you could do what what, uh, apocalypse world does, which Mm -hmm. is sort of the same thing, right? You kind of, Correct me if I'm wrong, but you're able to just use the the engine that they have, yeah. right? And then create your game around it. You 
license it from them? Nope. No. Okay. I, now some companies want you to, but you can't actually trademark um, like dice mechanics. So you'd have to take uh, like very specific terms and stuff like that for there really to be. But um, the people who made Apoc- Apocalypse World very specifically were like, use this. Like it's free. You know, go. You know, Creative Commons have fun so a lot of people just out of i think they ask that you mark it as a park apocalypse world there's like a little logo um i think it's like a request but they don't get mad if you don't use it but a lot of people do just you know to honor them and things like that yeah it's polite it's nice like credit them Uh, but uh yeah i don't know it's interesting and they use the uh, rising tide raises all boats theory, which yeah. is like if if all the more apocalypse world games that are out there, the more we have a chance of world domination, the more it just comes back to us tenfold because it's still based on our product. Which 100 percent has been the case. For them. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. That, that also reminds me that like from a from a wizard standpoint, from a Hasbro standpoint, there's no such thing as bad press Mm -hmm. and even if all you're doing is generating people going well it was so much better back in second edition and reading those pdfs funny because hasbro was really good at generating bad press (laughs) (laughs) i mean they're great at that yeah well it's working for them whether whether it's the edge lords that they hire or whether it's they're just their draconian (laughs) hiring and firing policies they're great at that yeah fair enough they might actually want to try having good press for a change. Eh, not broken. Why fix it? <laughs> Everything's broken. The whole place is on fire. I guess that's the idea. It's like, look, our place is on fire, so you stop and look. Yeah, but it, you know, they can just keep throwing money into the fire to keep people looking, and they're right. good with it. You know, if that, that's no work. Right. Yeah. Maybe that's what their theory is. But but in any case, I mean, even if all they do is spark arguments about which edition's better, or I wonder if this thing will show up, or... I don't want to, I'm not going to buy it because they released all the second edition stuff anyway. And if I want to, I'll just reskin it. All of that talk, all that discourse just makes it more and more in your mind. And you're thinking about Spelljammer and you'll, you'll be aware of it. Even if you don't buy it, someone else will talk about it. And maybe you'll become interested in it. You know, who knows? I, and it, so true. I like Mongoose a lot, you know, mm-hmm. especially with their whole Traveler thing. And what they did is they took Traveler and dusted it off and, and stuff. But it's still re- you can still go buy the old Traveler books, and it's all still relevant. And I think mm-hmm. it helped everybody. So right, yeah. There's again, there's a lot of business models out there. There is no one way to sell and market a game, even even depending on what system you decide to build it in, whether it's an original system or if you're using Apocalypse or if you're doing a hybrid of something. It all dictates how you're going to market it. So if you want advice on how to do that, go to business class. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the local community college because it really that's what you're talking about. It's not about games and it's not about people. It's about selling and demographics and marketing tools and all of that boring stuff that you didn't like in college, but now think is you should have taken it when you yeah. <laughs> forty years ago when you were in school. Yeah, there's also <laughs> a bunch of really great um, podcasts out there on oh, yeah. marketing and YouTube tutorials and stuff like that. So you can do it on your commute. Uh, so yeah. so. Kimmy, being someone here who has produced games and put them out in the world, uh, maybe you could give us things that you know now that you didn't know then that would have been useful to know. Oh, my God. Since that's part of the question as well. Like for, yeah. for those of us who have made games, what, what are the business decisions the you can make? Get the bulk mail rate. By pay for that ahead of time, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Get oh that my stamp. God. Wait to charge <laughs> shipping until you're ready to ship. Don't do it pre-pandemic and then... <laughs> actually ship things two years into a pandemic have all your artwork and everything ready before you start the game or at least some of it yeah but there's a whole bunch of like crowdfunding stuff but specifically for this um i do think you were right on the money with the 
kind of uh, creating buzz on social media. It is the hardest thing to do, but it is legit like one of the most effective things you can do as an indie game designer. You got to be an influencer. You got to be your own influencer. Right. You got to create it. The thing that's even harder than that is because if you are pushing your own game as people in social media hate it Mm -hmm. and they don't want anything to do with you talking about your own games. Mm -hmm. But if somebody else talks about your games and it like gets a lot of things, you could sell a bunch. Like that's why there's, of, that's why there's yeah. influencers buying like homes in Malibu right now because people pay them yeah. to talk about their game and then they go and buy you know a thirty two million dollar mansion with money hundred percent like like getting your game in front of those people uh, Decima like I guess like a month or month and a half ago now went semi viral on TikTok by someone like using it in this little video of theirs and they weren't even an influencer. It just happened to be one of those things that people started liking and they'd done a whole series of the exact same thing. And then just their last one that they did just happened to go viral. It got like 30,000 views or something, which is great. And then like immediately like the Decima sales went through the roof. I now have a bunch of people like through the roof, like, for me, like on, like you went from tens, yeah. tens a month to like dozens a month. Well, I went through like not really even selling it. Like I had some leftover from the Kickstarter, um, and I was selling, I was selling some, and people were interested, but most of the people who had wanted it got it through the Kickstarter, and then suddenly it was like literally within a couple of days, I was completely sold out. Um, which was a couple hundred decks. It wasn't like a huge amount. I didn't have stock to sell. It was like the leftover ones. Um, so it, it did wonders. And now I have a whole wait list uh, for oh, neat. whatever's going to happen next. But yeah, that creating conversation, however you do that, like what Nick was saying is it, it's something so hard to generate, but it is so valuable to you as an indie game designer um because like i think that's i don't even think it's about indie game designer it's about selling something at all whether it's advertising whether you you know you want news articles you want to get on the news programs you want a a magazine ads you are uh, old school magazine ads even Mm -hmm. now you want somebody to click on the bar you just need eyeballs on your product and you need to Mm -hmm. get out there and really all all of that is is just a form of advertising. Yeah, as getting people to notice. Yeah, and that's the hardest thing about anything. You yeah. could have the greatest product in the world. You could have something like that could s- solve world hunger tomorrow. But if you can't get people to look at it, it's not going to do anything. It's just going to sit there. Yeah, and it's so hard hard to cut through the noise. Always now. has on been. social media. It's right. so hard. Um, what about their PPS? What is one game now out of print that if it was re-released as digital only that you would grow uh, go to shut up and take my money mode immediately? Well, I already said it is Spelljammer. And now <laughs> that I know that they released them, I'm gonna, when I get home, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go looking for those PDFs. Because also, if I could have all those books in a tablet or floating in the cloud somewhere and I didn't have to take them with me every time I moved, much more likely to, to read through them and, and use them again. I'm pretty sure that all the games that I liked are are available. I think there's people that are out there crazy enough that have made old scans of them and you can get PDFs of them. But one of the games I played way early on was called Chivalry and Sorcery. And yeah. Chivalry and Sorcery was about knights and, and it was sort of a D&D-esque mm-hmm. game, but they had a really interesting magic system based on sort of elements. And you could create your own spells. If you wanted to make like a fireball spell, you would create create wind, create fire, and move. And that would be your fireball spell. But you had to combine the three elements and then 
create your own spell or craft your own. And it was really kind of neat. Um, as far as I remember, it was a kind of an incomplete game. And in fact, the type font was literally like somebody typed it. You know, it's one of those old books. I I have that for champions. I have first, second yeah, edition champions. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, and it's really someone small. did this on a Smith Corona. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'd love to go back and revisit that and just check it out and see if it still holds water. Does does the defendants still hold water? I uh, I probably is awful now. Um, and it might even still be in print, but I think you can get it. I'm pretty sure I can find a PDF of it if somebody took their old book and scanned it. But that's something I'd like to check out. There was also a game, and I know I think I bought a reprint of it years ago, uh, called Metamorphosis Alpha. Metamorphosis Alpha was a science fiction game. It's kind of a gamma world thing where you're you're playing along, you're sort of this tribal person in there's all these creatures that are attacking you and you're doing things, you're trying to survive stuff, and it's it's uh Spoilers, because it's on the cover, it takes place in a giant colony ship, and you are basically, you know, everything's devolved into barbarism. Hmm. The ship is still maintaining life forms and such, but um, character, or creatures of bread and such, and you are, it's, everything's evolved back down into a tribal state, and you're just trying to get around. So at some point, you break out of the biome and into the ship. So sort of like uh, Ringworld, but it's all contained in a colony ship. And it was, yeah, but it was, yeah, and it's a whole contained game. I mean, it was like D and D was like it wasn't just a module, it wasn't just a one off. That was the game. Oh, that so was, you could okay. keep playing that game. Like so, yeah, go back and at some point you end up taking over the ship and running around the air ducts. I mean, it was a whole neat thing that you could run in. So it's called Metamorphosis Alpha. In that thought, like, like I would seriously consider getting all the paranoia stuff on uh, in PDF. I consider getting all of the champion stuff on PDF. Oh, yeah. Again, there's a ton of source books for all those things, and not having to lug them around and not having to do it. So, uh, fox bat. <laughs> Picture the fox yep. bat from the yep. champions. The old fox bat <laughs> and his velocipede. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I love the original marvel superhero ttrpg oh yeah they've had like there are like stork was saying kind of like the bootleg scans of it but they're not searchable they're not no they're just pictures of the page yeah. and if there was like a true like searchable pdf of that i'd 100 percent love to love to have that i've never i've never played it but it's one of those games that I, like everyone talks highly of it and and i just speak highly of it sorry um and I just would love to like play it and also like have a good PDF. So I would be maybe incentivized to actually play it. Cause I don't want to play a PDF that I have to like flip through like a book. It's a nightmare. All right. I, I found like an old copy of arrow fall years and years and years ago. And I printed it all up and bound it. I can't go. So it's, I still have like the book, but mm. it was a, it's an interesting game system as well. So like there are ways to make it work. So, cause nothing's really ever gone now. Yeah. Now. It's just, the internet is forever. It is. Oh, and for it's, porn. it's somebody's passion. <laughs> and somebody's. somebody has an archive out there yep. somewhere. Somewhere. All right. Thank you for joining us for Season 30, Episode 13 of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. Thank you to our chat mod, James B., and our amazing Patreons who keep us ad-free and independent. My name is Kimmy. I'm Nick. I'm still Stork. Yep. And <laughs> don't forget, JackerCon is coming up. Visit happyjacks.org slash JC. That's going to be July 22nd through the 24th. Go sign up for games. There's 16 whole games. Um, tonight, we're going to end with a little bit of a different song. So this is a metal version of The Decisive Battle, which is a Final Fantasy VI song. Um, usually, we play more folk 
type, you know, more acoustic sounding music. This is by a band called Super Madness. N-E-S is capitalized, like mad NES, like Nintendo Nintendo Entertainment System. System. Exactly. Um, (laughs) And our good friend Ryan Iyengar um, is helping me learn how to play uh, uh, guitar. So he's in this um, and he's uh, partnered with Abrea, who's a super good friends. And you can find this band on supermadnes.com. And all right, we'll see you next week. is a product of the Happy Jacks RPG Network. The Mary Sue's performed our intro music, and our ending song is played with the express permission of the artist. Visit happyjacks.org for more information and to find all our streams and podcasts.